Alright, um, so thank you, you know, for doing this. Of course, thank you. You know, honor. First, first, first interview slash podcast for newer Negroes. Oh my gosh, and this would be my first time talking about the book. <laughs> in an interview in the States. I did one with a brother that lives in South Africa. Okay. Um, but... Yeah, you'll be the first person I'm talking to. See, look, I got exclusive rights. Oh! <laughs> you was with me when I was writing this thing, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, shout out to Finishing. Um, so, it was really good. I, I will say this, that, um, like, I feel like most of your writing is very, like, vulnerable and very, like... I mean, you always kind of give much of yourself, so for me to still read stuff, like, dang, what? That happened? That happened? That happened? Like, that was, like... I was like, shit. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so I guess the the first thing I want to say is like why like what made you finally say like okay time to put it in memoir form like what made you say let's put it in a book I yeah I didn't want to write a memoir um, I wanted to write a book that I guess would be classified as cultural criticism or social commentary uh-huh. and um, like my first reader is my mentor Beryl Satter and my agent Katie Kochman both read like drafts of stuff that I would put together and they were like this is really good but what's most resonant like what's resonating the most with me in the writings are your stories Mm -hmm. and um, I fought that because I was like one like memoir just sounds so narcissistic Mm -hmm. and like who the fuck I don't like who the fuck am I like I didn't do shit (laughs) you know what I'm saying like I felt like memoir is a a sort of um, genre that was meant for um, a certain type of person to write like in my mind I don't know, several years ago, I'm like, I didn't do anything to feel qualified to write a memoir. Uh I didn't understand what it, what it meant to sort of put one's narrate one's life. Um, but it also meant that if I knew that if I have to, if I was going to write a memoir that I would have to be honest about things in ways that I think if I would have wrote like cultural criticism, like I can hide my emotions sometimes behind theory, Mm. even though theory is not divorced from like affect. Um, but like, you know, I can talk, I can say intersectionality, <laughs> but not ever say, um, my mom was 16 and on welfare and dropped out and dropped out of school, um, and lived in a city that was named the most violent and most economically devastated in the U S in the area, uh, in the era of Reagan, uh-huh. which is sort of like what intersectionality is, right? Yeah. So those are, t- so, um, that's why, like, I am most nervous about the fact that I guess, I'm used to talking about my life, but damn, like now it's in a book Mm. and it isn't just my story. It's also my mom's story. It's my city story. It's my family story. It's people I talk about. So, I mean, and that's like, so, so one thing that kind of stuck out to me, because you started off, like you start off with, you know, talking about Camden, which is funny to me because when I think of you, I think of New York. So (laughs) it's it's just funny to see like all of this emphasis on like Jersey and New Jersey. That was important to me. Um, but you were like very clear about so like you again height of you know Reaganomics whatever mass incarceration like all of the AIDS crisis just in it that's mm-hmm. when you were growing up but you were very clear about like but I had a happy mm-hmm. like childhood you have a part where you're like I forget I think you said like um, there was a part where you said that like you just had more fun it was a bunch of like parallel where you were like I did this more than I worried yeah. right like you were very happy and I was just wondering like why did you like, why did you do that? Why I feel that impulse to keep talking about, like... Because it's so important for me to... One, and I, I'm, I'm so glad you... I, this book is sort of... Um, someone said it's like a love letter to Camden. Uh-huh. But Camden is a central um, 
character in the book, too. Um, and it's important for me to talk about Camden not as... I could have described it as a hood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, But I needed to give the reader a sense who may not know Camden about how Camden and cities like Camden and urban spaces like Camden and black spaces um, become ghettoized. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not because we are black and we there and shit's just fucked up. Yeah. You know, like there were specific things that happened to bring my city, my hometown, the place where my family still lives to the place where it is today. But it was also important for me to, I didn't want folk to get the sense like, fuck. I mean, you do, I mean, I, I've been told it's a hard read. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm like, well, I couldn't lie about some of the real shit that we endure. Yeah. When you grow up under-resourced and in, in communities where you're overly policed and you're policing each other. Um, dot, 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 right? And at the same time, though, the thing, the thing that I think is so remarkable about black families, particularly those who grow up under conditions like that, is the way that we find... Um, that we use tactics to survive, to live, to thrive in the midst of all of that. Like, I just would never know that I was poor. I never knew I was poor until I got out of my city in, like, white suburbia. Like, I just was cool, Um, relatively speaking. You know what I'm saying? And it's, like, important to know. Like, I think that's what blackness is. Like, it's improvisation. Like, it riffs. Um, uh, It knows how to sort of transform even the most dire... If, if, If the point of, like, whiteness is to sort of deaden anything that isn't white that is we ain't supposed to be here blackness is about ever present <laughs> survival like it, that motherfucker is an ellipsis like yeah. we ain't going nowhere <laughs> and that's what my family represented for me like so like tell me like so like give me give me the image like give me give me the picture like how was like how was little darnell oh my like, god you i i, I want to say to you describe your mother like you there were so many different variations of chocolate that you used to describe your mom <laughs> like caramel hazel i was just like he this he loves his mama like I you could just her. you could just tell just from the way you described her but oh like, my gosh but i was i was quiet well I was the only child for a long time in a big family. Mm-hmm. And I, it was eight of them. My mom had seven brothers and sisters. And I was like the, uh, like, I guess you would call me like the next child. Because we were very close in age also to my aunts and uncles. But I was spoiled. Mm-hmm. Um, I cried. <laughs> I complained a lot. You were only, you were the first, the first male grandchild, grandchild? The first grandchild, period. Okay. Okay. Of like, I don't know how many of us now. There might be. I think you said 30. but <laughs> No, it's more. I think it's like. It might be like sixty of us or more. There's black people out here. There's <laughs> a lot of us, and I was a first grandchild. So for a lo- for the first four years, so for the longest time, like as a toddler, and then a cousin came after me. I was spoiled. Um, I was really dressed. I was dressed um, nicely all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, I had a big smile, which is surprising because I did not. And I talk about this in my prologue, but. Writing this, I, I only the, the sort of images of all of the hard shit was like at the forefront of my mind, and I could no longer see myself as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day I was sitting in my room and I was looking through pictures, and I was like, I smiled a lot, <laughs> like I was happy, I guess, you know. And it just made me think about how young, how children can be. Like, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you're you're a teacher, you're in classes with students, they smile, they having fun, they talking about each other, they going off on you. You never know. I was getting all A's on my report card. Mm. Nobody knew that hell was breaking loose in my home. Mm. You would never know. You'd have never know that, like, 
I feared walking to school. Uh-huh. If you only looked at me sitting behind a desk, or if you only looked at my performance or lack of performance, like you would never know. And yeah, like <laughs> just good. I mean, and um, cause I I do want to come back to the child part, but just because you brought up the photograph, so I thought so like. Anybody who kind of follows you knows that you have, like, a social media presence, you know, and you take, like, these great selfies, right? <laughs> like, very, like, great style. And then you sort of um, anchor each chapter in a photograph. Yeah. You know, so do you feel like there's a special meaning, like, photography or, like, pictures have in your life? What led to that That's decision? So my, my editor, um, Katie O'Donnell, said, you know, we should um, put a picture at the start of each chapter, and I was like, cool. Um, only because I think it would be a great way. It would have been a great way to sort of um, offer a visual. Uh, not just of me, but like you'll see that there are other family members of mine, our friends. Mm-hmm. Only because I look so different. <laughs> in each stage of my life, you can literally see. I, I could see the changes in in myself. Like going from like the smiling sort of overly zealous, fun little boy to, like, the teenager who hardened. Mm. Um, and then the adult that was, like, even more hardened, back to sort of, like, a, a more freer self. I could see it um, in those pictures. Uh, but I think there's something about visual aesthetics, or just photographs, the, the ability to capture ourselves in time that, that I love. Um, it is sort of a way of Resisting erasure. Uh-huh. It's like an archive of sorts. I just also just like to take pictures. <laughs> you know, I like to dress. So. Can you um, say more about that, the resisting erasure? Yeah, I, um, I said, when people used to ask me what my biggest fear was, I used to say to die or to leave here with others not knowing I was here. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. I think at one point that might have been more um, about me needing to sort of be validated, um, to be quite honest, to be legible or to have my work seen, which is very Uh different than um, now, though, I think about what it means, um, particularly in like so many of the, the ways that people have died in my life, have transitioned in my life, who unless one is purposeful about making sure that they exist. I'm talking about like in the archive on the page just does not. Um, and these are not folk for whom who needed to do anything special uh-huh. to be remembered, but yeah. it's just like, so, you know, I think there was Alice Walker who talked about how she saved everything. Uh-huh. Nope. She wrote on napkins and just all this other stuff because uh-huh. she knew that if she did not do the work of being her own archivist, of ensuring that she be legible after she's transitioned from here, then nobody else is going to do it. Okay. Um, now, what's interesting about that is like, now I just be taking pictures <laughs> without all that deep shit. Like, I just be like, oh, this outfit is lit. Yeah. And I just take a picture. <laughs> um, but funny enough, I was, now when friends transition, it's interesting. The first thing I go to are either text conversation or conversations we've had that's written down uh-huh. or photos. Um, and in the last year where the frequency of death has sort of increased, like I've in just like the last several months have suffered significant loss, 
Um, that became something really important to me. Like I did um, some historical research, like trying to find out uh, about family members. And it's scarce. It's scarce. Mm-hmm. Like my father, like I don't have a lot of pictures of him. Um, I don't have letters and like a lot of that stuff that I wish I did have. And now it's like, well, if you ever need to know anything about me, it's all there. Yeah. Like, it's out there. It's all out there. And he, he passed while you were writing. The... He passed. Yeah. Exactly. Like exactly when I started writing this book. Because I, I read that. So first off, you were like super. I was reading this and I, I was kind of wondering, like, does like Darnell ever give himself permission to just be mad at people? Because it was like everybody. <laughs> Cause you like, cause you talked about like the context, right? So like, even Ob, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and you've written about that, like mm-hmm. him, like trying to set you on fire, right? But you gave like all of this context to like, well, you know, this is, you know, this is mm-hmm. a systematic. This is what happens when, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And the same thing with your dad. Like, I feel like you gave him a lot of care. You were very like loving towards him and very, you know, clear about your forgiveness of him and your. You know, but I but I was curious. Like, did that change your like process? Like, oh my god! About how you were writing about him? Yeah. I, in fact, the only reason I think the way that I got the way the, the reason the book is what it is is because of him mm-hmm. and his transition. It would have been a different book, honestly, if he were still alive. Which is not to say that I am counting like naming his death as like a positive. Mm-hmm. Um. But it changed me. Mm. Like, I despised him for a very long time um, and stopped caring, really, about him up until the point when I received a text message right before I was set to go on stage at United States Conference on AIDS. Like, and we were in Miami. I don't know, in Miami. That morning, I was supposed to give uh, a talk and I got a text that your father's not going to make it. And I remember... For all of the the hate and for all of I can actually feel like feel that emotion now, but for all the um many ways I just blocked him out of my memory and disregarded it, it broke me uh-huh. and I rushed I didn't shower, I got on a plane, and they sent me back, and I made it back to his to the hospital in time. I had to travel to South Jersey when he was on the deathbed, and we sat around him and i i remember I actually said like i I know you're heavy." <laughs> He was on a ventilator by this point. Um, like, go. Hmm. He did, too. <laughs> right that. Um, that is to say, like, I learned a lesson about what it means to not dispose of one another, especially black people. Uh-huh. So, like, if the world is hell-bent on disposing of us or see us before we are even able to see ourselves... And discern ourselves as disposable, like it behooves us not to do that to one another. So, that for me, it's a hard ethical thing. It's like th- this means, and especially in a moment like right now, when we're talking about like sexual assault, mm-hmm. um, being harmed in so many ways, like a true abolitionist vision is one, I think. Um, and Ruthie Wilson Gilmore, black geographer, talks about abolition as not just imagining the world without the shit that's bad but imagine mm-hmm. what needs to be in this place mm-hmm. so now I'm thinking on a whole nother level mm-hmm. like what does it mean and not for justice to mean like maybe not this person going to jail or or to have these sort of retributionary responses like how does one not dispose like it's it's through my whole politics into 
like mm. sharp relief. So I think about Obi, <laughs> and I'm like, if I'm a if I'm true to this vision of like an abolitionist vision or whatever, if we're gonna call it that, for Black liberation, I want to see him transform so that he's not taking gasoline to somebody's body, again. Mm. not necessarily in jail. But how do we get him there? Mm. How do I love him again? Like I and I I literally looked at my dad. And was writing about him, and I'm like, fuck, I am him. I mean, I didn't, we made different decisions, but certainly I have traces of all of the things. You know, patriarchy has shaped me too. Sexism, misogyny, I practiced <laughs> that shit too. And like, I just had this heart, and I'm, well, how can I like look, pin this motherfucker up as like the, uh, the target that I need to throw arrows at if I'm not self reflective enough? To realize my own, and that's what that allowed me to do. I'm grateful. Like so, I f- I'm a lot more healed actually um, because of having to sit with his humanity and to say, okay, I probably wouldn't be a better, a good dad either if I had a kid at 15. Like it didn't, I didn't even mm-hmm. recognize. Like I didn't. It, it never dawned upon me until I was writing. Like to have to write those words. Mm-hmm. He had a kid at fifth fucking. T- I'm 41. Yeah. I can't raise a kid now. Like you could not give me. I would be like. The administration for children's services, family services, like, <laughs> would be picking me up because, like, I'm like, I just would be up. He was 15. He was a boy. He was not ninth grade. Yeah, barely ninth grade. So, yeah. like, when I had to think of it, it was it humanized him and it allowed me to more empathically, like, understand him and therefore, like, anyone. I, you know, I, you see that a lot. Like, I think I didn't even intend for that to be a lesson, but. You know, others are like, oh, this is about radical love. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know that. But yeah, that's it. You know? <laughs> I th- and I, th- I thought it was funny because there was a part where... Because when you went... So you went to college, which was... I I really want to talk about like who you were. <laughs> oh, God. God. Um, because it was... I was a lot of things. Yeah. And, and there was a part where you said like... Because you... It, 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 I feel like you render yourself as like a little bit of a womanizer and yeah. like sexist and patriarchal. And... But you had this idea of like, as long as I'm not my dad. Yep. As long as I'm not my dad, then I'm good. <laughs> you know? But like, what... So what was that transition to college? Like, because you were like... Oh, well, You I, were lit. So I was like... <laughs> in short, I was everything... Like, I tried on every persona every sort of like masculinity you can name mm-hmm. like, I went to college and I was just like for the first few years I just smoked weed all the time <laughs> to, to be quite honest and was just in the middle of shit and help and um like we did at the same time I was like involved with like starting like black liberation yeah. shit on campus but I was very very lit like I didn't fuck about school mm-hmm. um it was also I think it had it it was a shock to my system to be in this overly white environment and to be living there. So uh-huh. it like, I was, you want to talk about black? <laughs> I took it to the next, like, I was like, oh, you going to get a black boy from camp? <laughs> and I gave him, I mean, I was fighting and shit. Um, and then it's like, I had a boyfriend. And <laughs> after I had a girlfriend, after I was fucking, it was just a mess. Um, who kind of turned you out a little bit though? Was this Leslie you talking about? Yes. <laughs> I was here for Leslie. When I, I think she still might be my best sex partner. <laughs> yeah. I I'm I'm like and that was a yeah, she might be my best best sex partner. Um but like I then had this boyfriend and I and I, I don't really go into death and like I 
I don't know why that first relationship, like, maybe this is common for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. that first relationship, like, almost took me out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not, like, I'm like, two things I said. I'm like, this is why I need to be delivered from this gay shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is what this shit feel like? This hurt? I don't want it. I just send me back to, like, get God. And this is when I turn to Jesus. Do you think you were just, like, because you were just so in love? I was so, so in love. And I was like, I felt like I, um, Fought so hard. I don't know if fault's the right word, but I relinquished so much of what I thought to be true and so much of like my self understanding to like be with this guy. Mm. <laughs> I was like, you are my first everything. I mean, I ain't never do all this shit with nobody. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, dicks out here. I'm like, this is a lot. Okay? Like,. <laughs> <laughs> and you and there were rumors on is this like the, there were rumors on yeah, captives I, I got like, at, at the time like I had a heart attack like oh it was it was so it was so much okay? yeah I had a heart attack and this is around the same time and like the rumor on campus when I was told was that people I said I had AIDS so like my partner my boyfriend at the time was like my boyfriend but also the only person really beside my best friend that I could really talk to he was like my support system my friend. And then he was a fuck nigga. Like, he was mm-hmm. fucking around with him. I'm just like, it was just a mess. Um, so, I, I think it was my own um, grappling with my sense of self as a young adult, as 18, really, mixed with being thrown into this environment where I just could not handle, I could not manage the academic pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I wasn't prepared to be away from home in this all white Catholic environment mm. um, with folk who were just so much more. It was just a lot. It was a lot. And I, I, I remember one semester I had all, I had five classes. It was four F's and an NR, which meant no record. Cause I didn't go to, I probably went to class like twice, but part of it wasn't necessarily my desire not to be in school, but I was severely depressed. Yeah. Um, and depression does not always look like sadness. Like there would be days where I just would not come out during the day. I would only come out at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, I live with a roommate, like who would be talking shit about me. I mean, he's good. He'd be good now. I mean, he's a really well-known oh, artist, <laughs> but like, um, I was a mess and then I turned to Jesus and then like, I became like a, a homo hating homo mm-hmm. preacher. <laughs> that people love the shepherd you know what I'm saying like people love me they were like and it's in so many ways the 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 respect that I felt like I didn't ever get received was what I I mean everybody was so like it was it's a weird thing when you like you're a black man with sort of charismatic character mm-hmm. you can go very far <laughs> even if your integrity and your personal life and your decisions are fucked up mm-hmm. and that's exactly where I was like they lo- I mean I could preach and sing and I mean it was it was insane um, to see how now I don't think I, I would not say that that now looking back I really do think that there was like I, I was able to, to help p- people on campus I don't see like me fucking around with guys after I'm finished praying now mm-hmm. as an error I understood it that then so it's not like God was working through your mess. No, like that's what we are as human beings. Like, um, but yeah, college was, I don't ever, I used to always say like the twenties, like people are like, how do you so old? I'm like, yes. First of all, I'm alive. Thank God. <laughs> but I don't 
ever want to go back there. Ever, ever, ever. I'm so good. Ever yeah, this, this 20 shit is a mess. I'm serious. <laughs> Y'all can have that shit. You know how millennials be like, like yeah, millenn- yeah, you be a millennial. All about your goddamn stuff. About that. Like, and so, what do you think? So, what was it, though? Like, do you think you were... I feel like this is a little bit reductive, but was it fair enough to say that you might have been depressed just because of you, you being closeted and not having people to turn to? Like, It was you- all of that. I, I was... It was certainly... I would say it was situational. Although... I, you know, when I was thinking about it, I can trace back um, sort of melancholy. I would call it melancholy. I'm not certain that I would say I, I suffered from um, bouts of depression. I, I did. Um, but like depressed, I mean, I eventually went and studied like to become a therapist, right? Uh-huh. Um, partially out of my own <laughs> need to like figure what the fuck was going on with my life and me. Um, but I've always had dances with melancholia and like suicidal ideation Uh that had always been present um partially um shaped by my circumstances um which i talk about right like in the book particularly around an intimate partner violence that was happening in a home i I mean the first time i can trace to what i wanted i literally thought about ending my life was after um uh, waking up a moment after my dad like had beat my mom up I was probably 11, uh, between 11, I can't remember. Um, Because I, yeah. But I had moments like that up until, probably up until I was 27 or 28. So that's a long time. But um, in college, like, if I were to go back and diagnose myself based on what I know and have been trained to do, I, I, I would have been clinically diagnosed with depression. I, mm. I should have been in therapy. Um, I probably should have had, received some psychotropic medication um, and um, some assistance with dealing with uh, self-acceptance, um, you know, and sort of manage. Like, I, I think what I was trying to get at in that chapter is I, for black young folk who find themselves... <laughs> in some strange environments not just physical right? mm-hmm. but spiritual uh-huh. um, interpersonal and you're thrown out there particularly within this college phase or this young adult phase where you're it's almost expected for you to thrive uh-huh. so many of us suffer uh, without the necessary tools to live um, and the only thing a lot of people worry about was grades right like yeah. are you going to class no one was saying like are you eating because uh-huh. I wasn't eating sometimes. Like I remember one semester, I ate like peanut butter and jelly crackers most uh-huh. of the semester. Um, one, I, I didn't have money, uh, so nobody asked for that shit. But two, I just was like depressed. Um, yeah, that. Ooh, those were hard days. <laughs> so I mean, so I one thing that I can say that I think is good now is I just feel like mental health is more. I just feel like people are talking about it more. Mm-hmm. Like, even one of my students was jokingly running around talking about, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered. <laughs> like, it was yeah. so... And it's it's funny because in academia, like, people think this stuff doesn't... You know, it's like... that It's being talked about in the upper echelons and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. But I'm like, no, nah, like, my middle schoolers are making jokes yeah. about it now. Um, so what does self-care look for you now, then? You know, given yeah. all of this and... Um, self-care looks like... You know, I found... I mean, you started off by saying, like, you kind of went there. <laughs> um, and actually, when I think about 
going there, self-care. And one thing, I, so when I was writing this, I, Coates once did an interview where someone asked him about what were some of the things that he think are necessary when writing a, a memoir. And he, wanted, he said um, to not fucking lie. Mm-hmm. And that, I took that to heart. When I mm-hmm. Yeah, because you... <laughs> Um, I did, but in so many ways, I think in in my life, in the way that I try to exist in the world, to be a better me, a more whole me, um, I try not to fucking lie. Mm. I really try. What killed what killed my spirit in the past was the many ways I locked so much of my pain away mm. and hid it. And I mean, I did that all my life, right? Like, so I would go to school and like perform and get all A's and get awards and everybody celebrate and, and inside I was dying mm. um, now if I'm dying inside I say I'm dying inside mm. that may not mean it will land and somebody will pick it up and say well, well let me get, I'm gonna help you um, but it, it means that I'm not in that cl- I'm not in anybody's closet about any fucking thing mm. and that's a freeing freeing thing because what that means is when I'm honest in that way to myself it can lead me to either get help when I need it, and I do sometimes, um, to admit that I'm human and I'm I'm not strong enough uh, to carry everything. I can't, um, and to to acknowledge my limits. Huh. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like that has helped me so much. So now, like I'm, I mean, just a few months ago, I I had like a series of five to six steps. In the last three months, and I remember saying to someone, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, I can't. And um, just saying that, like, you know, my best friend Brian, just like, well, I'm going to come, you know, let's just go hang out. Uh You know, and or my boss, who's like a big sister to me, said, you need to just stay home um, and let me know how I can be of, like, support to you. Now, had I gone in there like I typically would have done and trying to be like, like I got it. Yeah. It's all good. Let's come on. <laughs> um, and and then end up in a hospital because I'm having to get an EKG test because my blood pressure is so fucking high. It's telling me I need to be on. But like that's the shit that happened. Mm-hmm. Like holding shit in can manifest in those ways. So I try not to do that. That's that's so. Weird. I mean, and so I guess um, just to kind of like wrap up, like just two last questions. So number one, now that the memoir is like done, <laughs> you know. Like what? Like I know this is a hard question because it's like okay, you just got this done. Now what's next? But because I feel like this would be a similar moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Let me say it this way: How are you just feeling about this being done now? I am so grateful um, that I was able to get this done last year, this year, twenty seventeen. And this has been a project in the making. I I didn't know it would be this book, but Mm -hmm. I've been working on whatever a book for several years now, and it's finished. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I I literally don't know how I did it. That's one thing I'll say. I know you did it. You was you was working your ass off. (laughs) I I, I saw you. You was you were sitting down. (laughs) How did I get this? I was working full time for, for most of that year, and still had a lot going on. Life didn't stop happening. Um. So I feel I'm just extremely grateful. I'm extremely, extremely, extremely grateful to God, to the ancestors, um, to the spirit and, and the many people around me that keep me going. I'm also, I have moments where I'm extremely nervous. Uh-huh. 
Um, not be even because of the words. Now I'm just like I'm over. Like it's my mama read it. She know what the fuck's going <laughs> on. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing she got to be shocked about it. But it's like, um, you know, people will love it. Some won't. And I try as also like a different type of book. I think people hear memoir. They think of, of a particular type of thing. But it was important for me to try to manipulate the form. Um, I didn't just want to write like my story without offering context. Mm-hmm. So parts of this is also like social commentary and social history, which may shake people a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? Like people want like, you know, like the black the black yeah. book. And I was just like it, 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 I just could not for the life of me write a sentence like, you know, about a street that I grew up on in Camden. Which, without context, could be read as a sort of symp- sympathetic. The reader could have take a sympathetic view to Kevin, uh-huh. like, "Oh, what was me? You grew up in the hood." I'm like, I don't want the reader to, to get let off the hook. I don't want to be let off the hook. I need y'all to understand. If I'm talking about abandoned houses on my street, how the fuck they got abandoned? So, what, what would you call it then? Because I feel like you're resistant to the term memoir. What would you I'm call not, it? Yeah. Like critical, engaged, autobiographical. No, no, <laughs> I mean, it is a memoir, but maybe what maybe what this can do is to, for those who are really formalist, help us to rethink memoir as form. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it is a memoir and, and and just a different take on how one can approach it. I don't know how successful it is. I feel like it, it could be a lot sharper, um, but um, I try to, as best as I can, um, ground my own personal narratives and sort of what was happening in the world at the time so that people can also find themselves and also the state's complicity and also so many other factors. I talk about like unseen hands, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to reveal those. Um, So next I, it's funny, the week I turned the manuscript, (laughs) I sat with my agent and she was like, all right, what we doing? What's book two? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, can we tackle that next year? But my, one of my goals for 2018 is to have at least a proposal done and a contract in hand for the second book, which I don't know what it's going to be, God willing, if I'm still around. Um, so I'll, I'll work on that. I have some senses. I have a, a, some ideas. What I know now is that I can do it, that writing a book is possible. Um, I always feared it because I never feared... I. I, I I, f- I don't know what the fuck I really feared, like, but I've been scared to do it, like to actually mm. commit to doing a full-on project um, because I also know that it meant I would need to devote a good, substantial part of my time. That's what I feared. Um, having to stop being so productive, quote-unquote, <laughs> um, you know, to like turn off. And But what I will say, that one of the gifts I got this year was spending time by myself. Mm. And I'm scared of that. And But it's I, now it's like if I have to be around anything more than four people, I start shaking. <laughs> I just spent eighty five percent of the time by myself, and now like this is too much. You know, like I gotta go. All right. Um, so yeah. So well, I think it's it's fantastic. I really, and I'm I'm sitting here trying not to spoil too much because it's it's a, it's it's a good read. It's thoughtful. It's critical, and at the same time, it's very juicy too. Like, <laughs> and I'm and anybody know Aaron? Aaron is a critic. No I was like, let, let, just read the book, Aaron, because if it can make it through you. No, so it was good, and it was well edited. You know, shout Thank out to shout out to shout out editor. to Katie. Um. 
anything you particularly just excited for? I'm excited. When I wrote this book, I imagined... And I mean it just in life in general. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and, well, yeah, about the book, I'm excited because when I wrote it, in my head, the audience was like little black kids mm. or like young adults are... Um, what's interesting to me is the response where like when white people were like this was fantastic I'd be like huh <laughs> I honestly was not thinking about you at all yeah when I wrote it like there is not I was not you was not at all <laughs> so it's surprising that people can find themselves so I'm, I'm excited about the potential for it to um, potent, I don't know lift somebody's spirit um, in life I'm just 2018. So here, you know, I'm a little bit of a spiritualist. Mm-hmm. I believe like 2017 was a year of sowing, mm-hmm. of, of of planting seeds, of like towing land, of, and I'm using that metaphorically. And 2018 is about reaping, and I'm so like excited for what is soon to happen for all of us, for creatives, for all of for you, um, who have taken over the last few years to sow, even if that was only in our imagination and our dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, I see so much good shit coming. And that makes me so excited. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't really, I feel it. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, it's, we about to be on the brink. Of, and that, uh, it sounds so cliche, but I've seen, I've watched so many people this year put sweat equity mm-hmm. into shit that matters. And it's going to pay off. So I'm excited about that. Anything else you want to add? That's it. Thank you for interviewing me. Thank, thank you for saying. I was that. scared. I was like, because you know, Aaron read this shit, <laughs> and he gonna read me for Phil. But I appreciate it so much. Um, thank you.